Chapter Ten. Humans have very odd tastes. They think their music is beautiful. They are wrong. It is awful, all of it, and they completely ignore their greatest accomplishments: the cinnamon bun, the Snickers bar, the hot pepper, and the refreshing beverage called vinegar. From the Earth Diary of Aximali Escarot Islil. Being in Prince Jake's body is no different from being in my regular human morph, except that it is slightly larger. Since the morph was formed from his DNA, I looked exactly like him. Cassie insisted I borrow a garment called overalls and a pair of boots from her barn before entering her home. Humans are very particular about clothing. I still do not understand why. Hi, Jake. Cassie talked you into helping her muck out the barn again. Cassie's father asked me as I walked into her home. He was a male, as all human fathers are. His hair was dark brown, but it seemed to have been removed from much of his head. He wore round, transparent lenses on his face, which I am told are for correcting faulty vision. His complexion is darker. He had the usual number of arms and legs. No, I said. She asked me to eat your food. Food. Ooda. Well, someone has to eat it. Might as well be you who suffers. I cooked tonight. Made my world famous chili. Cassie's eyes suddenly widened. She looked frightened. Oh, chili? Um, Jake said he wasn't really hungry. He already ate. Is chili a very frightening food? I asked Cassie. Her father grinned. Mine is. Is that Jake I hear out there? Someone called from the next room. A female appeared, who I assumed was Cassie's mother. She had dark hair, but much more of it than Cassie's father. Her hair had not been removed. She stuck two arms in my direction and walked toward me. Oh, you just get more handsome every time I see you, Jake. She wrapped her two arms around me and squeezed me briefly. Then she released me. Are you staying for some chili of doom? Yes, I asked him to join us. Cassie said, but he's not very hungry. In fact, he just ate, so he probably won't want any chili. Cassie's mother smiled at Cassie's father. Isn't it just precious the way she tries to protect him? Too late, Cassie's father said. He's trapped now. There is no escape. In order to eat, we had to sit down in front of a table. I had done this before while impersonating Prince Jake at Prince Jake's home, so I knew how to do it. I knew what a fork was, also a spoon and a knife. I discovered that chili is brown and red. It contains several ingredients and smells a lot. There was also something called jalapeno cornbread, and there was a bowl of pieces of different fruits. After so many warnings, I was very nervous about tasting the chili. But I sensed that Cassie's father would be offended if I did not try some, so I ate a spoonful. I think that as long as I live, I will never forget that experience. The chili was hot in temperature, but it was also hot in a totally new way. The taste buds of my human tongue seemed to explode; they burned with an intensity of flavor like nothing I'd ever tasted before or since. Every nerve in my body seemed to tingle. Water dribbled from the tiny ducts beside my eyes. It was not as wonderful as chocolate, 
but it was intense. So incredibly intense. Oh, an Andalite would never understand. This was what being human was all about. Taste. The glory of it. The incredible wonder of it. This is wonderful food, I cried. Excuse me? Cassie's mother said. Aha! At last, someone who understands the joy of hot food, Cassie's father cried. I realized I had eaten my entire bowl of that marvelous chili. I wanted more. The taste! That feeling! I wanted more! There's plenty more, Cassie's father said. He filled my bowl again. Um, Jake, Cassie said. You really don't have to eat that much. I'll eat yours, I cried. My eyes were bulging from my head. My skin was tingling. My stomach was making sounds. But still, I wanted more. I'll love this kid, Cassie's father said. I wonder if his parents will let us adopt him. Jake, you are a very discerning, intelligent young man. He's insane, Cassie's mother said. There's no other explanation. Suddenly, I felt a sharp pain in my leg. I suspected that Cassie had kicked me under the table. I looked at her. She smiled sweetly and then kicked me again. That's probably enough chili, she said. She was staring at me in a very direct way. Yes, that is enough chili, I agreed. I pushed the bowl away. Chili, he, chili. I used habanero chilies, Cassie's father said. The hottest substance known to man. Not as hot as the temperature created during nuclear fusion, I pointed out. So how is school, Jake? Cassie's mother said. I knew what this activity was. This was called making conversation. The rules were that each person would ask the other person a question. It is fine. And how is your work caring for animals? Same old, same old, Cassie's mother said. Although we are about to have some new camel babies. Cassie's mother is a veterinarian at the zoo, a place where non-human animals are kept. So, Jake, you think the bulls are going to go all the way again this year? Cassie's father asked. I could tell that Cassie was growing tense. She was afraid that I would not understand the question. But thanks to my reading of the World Almanac, I knew the bulls were a sports team. Yes, I answered. They can go all the way. Then it was my turn to ask a question. That is how making conversation works. So, did you know that the cream separator was invented in 1878? Apparently, they did not know. Cassie, her mother, and her father all stared at me in surprise. After that, we watched television for a while. It was a fictional depiction of a family. I watched it and watched Cassie and her parents. A human family was a good thing to learn about. I had seen Prince Jake's family, and now I was seeing Cassie's family. They were different in some ways. For example, Prince Jake's family performs a brief religious ritual before they eat. Cassie's family does not. And in Prince Jake's family, the father falls asleep while watching television. In Cassie's family, it was her mother who began to fall asleep. I must go, I told Cassie. It has been almost two of your hours. Cassie's mother revived long enough to say I was crazy, but I was still so cute. 
Her father winked his left eye at me and waved as I left. Then he laughed at something from the television. Outside in the cool evening air, Cassie sighed heavily. Well, we got through that without it being too much of a disaster. Come on, I'll walk you out a ways till you can morph back without being seen. By the way, here's a book for you, since you're done with the World Almanac. It's a book of quotes, stuff that famous people said. She held it out for me to take. Thank you, I said. I felt strange walking into the dark, walking away from Cassie's house. Strange, as if it were cold out, although it wasn't. So what did you think of my parents? Cassie asked. I like them, I said. But why has your father removed the hair from his head? Hair. Hair. I meant to ask him, but forgot. He's going bald, Cassie said. It's probably better not to mention it. It's a normal thing for humans, but some people get sensitive about it. Ah, yes. My father's hooves are getting dull. It's normal as well, but he doesn't like to talk about it. What's your father like? And your mother? They are... Just normal parents. They are very nice. They are... Go on. My throat feels strange, I said. Like there is an obstruction. I am having difficulty speaking. Ing. Is this normal? Cassie put her arm beneath mine. You miss them. That's normal. An Andalite warrior may spend many years in space, far from his home and family. That's normal. Axe, you said it yourself. You may be an Andalite warrior, but you're still a kid, too. I stopped walking. I was far from the light of the house. I could change back into my own shape without being seen. I realized I was looking up at the stars. Where are they? Cassie asked, following the direction of my gaze. If you're allowed to tell me that. I pointed with my human fingers at a quadrant of space where my home star twinkled. There. I watched that star as I melted out of my human form and returned to my true Andalite body. Axe, you know that Jake and Tobias and me, and even Rachel and Marco, we all care about you. You know that, right? You're not just some alien to us. Thank you for the chili, I said. It was wonderful. Once more an Andalite, I ran for the forest. I spent part of the night reading the book of quotes. I should have been resting, but I felt disturbed. More and more, I thought of how easily I could turn the radio telescope at the observatory into a Z-space transmitter. The idea of contacting my parents filled me with sadness and longing. They could tell me what to do, I thought. They could give me instructions. And in another part of my mind, I thought, wouldn't they be proud that I was fighting on against the Yurks? They would say, he's another Alfangor, a hero. I'm not proud that I was thinking that, but I have to tell the truth. And the truth was, I wanted everyone back home to think I was being very brave, all alone on Earth. Already in my mind, a plan was taking shape. I found a quiet place and prepared to sleep. I closed my main eyes, leaving only my stock eyes open to look for danger. I relaxed my tail until it touched the ground. Lonely. Yes, it was lonely to sleep in a forest on a planet far from home. It was lonely to be the only one of my kind. 
It was lonely knowing that Cassie was asleep in her home, and Marco in his, and Rachel and Jake. All had homes. All but me. And Tobias. Tobias. He would understand. But would he help me? If I did what I was planning, would he help? And could I trust him? I raised my tail and opened my main eyes. I knew the place where Tobias slept. I found him easily. He stood with his sharp talons wrapped around a branch. Tobias, I called. Huh? What? Axe? What's the matter? Nothing is the matter, but I have a question. I hope it's a good one. I was sleeping. Tobias, are you my friend? That's what you woke me up to ask? He opened his wings and seemed to be stretching. Axe, we are the two strangest creatures on this planet. A freaky, four-eyed, half-deer, half-scorpion, centaur-looking alien, and a bird with the mind of a person. We fought side by side. We've nearly been killed several times. Of course I'm your friend. It surprised me that he would answer so quickly, as if there was never any doubt what the answer would be. That's good, I said. Will you keep a secret, even from Prince Jake, even from Rachel? Tobias was silent for a while. Is this something that would hurt my friends? No. Then I'd keep a secret, Tobias said. I swear. What do you swear by, Tobias? I have to be sure. What promise would you never break? Axe, you know I was there when your brother was killed. Yes, I know. You were the last one to leave him. Yeah, I don't know why, Tobias said. But something about him, I can't explain it. But I was drawn to him. I wanted to listen to him. I wanted to hear everything he said. It was like, like he was a magnet or something. Like I couldn't pull away. Until he ordered me to leave. I can't explain it. You don't need to explain, I said softly. Even here, among aliens, Alfangor was the hero. You asked what I'd swear by? I'll swear by him, Prince Alfangor. And so, I told Tobias of my plan. Chapter 11 E.T. phoned home. When I found that sentence in Cassie's book of human quotes, it surprised me. To be honest, it almost scared me. It was as if it were written just for me. I thought maybe, somehow, my human friends had discovered my plan and written it there. From the Earth Diary of Aximili Escaroth Isthil The sun was just coming up over planet Earth. I performed the morning ritual, as I always did. But I was especially impatient this morning. I knew Tobias was hunting a morning meal and would be back as soon as he had finished eating some unfortunate mouse or shrew. Freedom is my only cause. Duty to the people, my only guide. Obedience to my prince, my only glory. When Tobias returned from the hunt, we would go. He would lead me to the observatory, to the great radio telescope, and, with luck, I would be able to call my home. I, Aximili Escarth Isthil, and a light warrior, offer my life. With my stock eyes, I saw a hawk swoop low overhead. Tobias rested on a branch. He focused his fierce hawk eyes on me.
Are you done? Yes, the ritual is complete. Great, because it is a beautiful day for flying. Thermals like you wouldn't believe. And a sweet little ground raise for easy takeoff. Tobias, you understand that you don't have to do this, I said. There may be danger. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Axe. Let's go already. I often go flying with Tobias. The bird morph I have is called a Northern Harrier. It is a type of hawk about the same size as Tobias's red tail. Tobias's feathers are mostly brown and light tan, while the Harriers are mostly gray and white. I controlled my excitement and worry and focused on making the change. The Harrier morph is always strange. For one thing, there is a great difference in size between an Andalite and a bird, even a large bird. The first sensation was one of falling, as I shrank rapidly. My stock eyes went blind and wings grew out of my front legs, which is very awkward. It causes me to fall forward onto the ground, since I cannot stand on my hind legs alone. Besides, my hind legs were busy shriveling down into the tiny yellow scaly bird legs, and my tail was shrinking and splitting into dozens of long tail feathers. Harriers also have mouths, like humans. Only these mouths are useless for speech, and have very little ability to taste. On the other hand, they are wonderful natural weapons. They are razor sharp and curved down into a ripping, tearing hook. And the talons are excellent. I have long admired Tobias's use of his talons. He can swoop fast and low, just a few feet above the ground, and snatch up a mouse or a small rabbit with those talons. As I watched, the blue and tan fur of my own body was replaced by silvery gray feathers. The fur melted away to show the underlying flesh, and then the flesh became patterned with the millions of individual ribs of feathers. I was used to the mind of the harrier, so I had learned to control its instincts. Its instincts were more forceful than those in the brains of humans. I've been meaning to ask you, Axe, Tobias said. Not to diss you or anything, but why is it that Cassie is better at morphing than you are? I mean, you're an Andalite, but you look just as creepy as Jake or Rachel when you do it. Cassie has talent, I said a little grumpily. Morphing does not happen to be my talent. Oh, you ready to fly? I checked. I opened my wings to their full three and a half foot spread. I flicked my tail feathers. I focused my laser-like hawk's eyes on a far distant tree and was able to see individual ants crawling up its trunk. I listened to the forest with the harrier's superior hearing. I could hear the insects beneath the pine needles. I could hear a squirrel chewing open a nut. I could hear Tobias's heart beating. I turned into the breeze and opened my wings. I flapped several times and lifted my legs clear of the ground. The breeze caught me and I was off. Even with the breeze, I had to flap hard to get as high as the treetops. Tobias was already several dozen feet above me. But then, Tobias has had a great deal of practice. I swept just above the treetops, flapping and soaring. The sun was beating down on the treetops and heat waves were rising. I caught the updraft and shot higher. I was 200 feet up in just seconds. I could see Cassie's farm now, and as I circled to use the updraft for more altitude, I could see all the familiar landmarks, the homes of others, the mall, the school. Stick with me, Tobias said. We'll follow the water's edge. The observatory is north along the coast, 
about an hour's flying time. We reached the ocean. There were cliffs along the shore, and here the real thermals rose up. A thermo is an updraft of heated air. Flying into one is like flying into an elevator or a drop shaft. The updraft catches your wings and lifts you up and up and up. It is a fantastic, giddy, wild feeling. I wheeled and turned to stay within the thermal, following Tobias higher and higher. We want to get above the gulls, Tobias instructed. Sometimes seagulls get obnoxious. They'll swarm a hawk if they're in the wrong mood. It was exhilarating. We were thousands of feet above the ground. Down below, humans lay on the beach wearing less clothing than usual. Clothing is a strange human habit. They must wear it at all times, except at the beach, when they may wear less. I don't understand this. The World Almanac had no explanation. Although I did know that the United States imported $36.7 billion worth of clothing. Keep an eye on that guy up there, Tobias said. Where? What? I asked, shaken out of my dreamy thoughts. A peregrine falcon. He's probably looking to pick off a few tasty seagulls, but he may decide we look more tender. He's small but fast. Mean, too. I decided to keep an eye on the falcon. Earth is a dangerous, wild place. At least if you're a bird. I thought it must be terrible sometimes for Tobias. He lives in fear of things that no human would need to fear. He has lost his position at the top of the food chain of Earth. Hawks are predators, but they are also prey. Yet, he seems to have accepted his fate. Was it possible that he even preferred being a hawk? Was that why he never asked me what I might know about him being a nothlet? Or did he think I would refuse to answer, or worse yet, lie? Fortunately, the falcon ignored us and we flew on, following the coastline. Soon we had left the city behind. The beaches were gone too. The coastline grew more rugged, with waves that crashed in explosions of foam against jagged broken rocks. A single road wound along the coast below us. There were cars on it, but few buildings. Then, in the distance, I saw a large white structure. Actually, several structures. There was a tall building with a dome top, and arrayed around it in various positions were several large, flattened bowls. It took me several seconds to figure out their purpose. That's the radio telescope? I laughed. You're still using dish arrays. Won't they work for... for whatever it is you're doing? Tobias asked. Oh yes, they should work. If I can gain access to the computers, they should work very well. It's just that they're so primitive. I don't suppose you want to tell me what we're doing, huh? Doing? We're flying, I said. Very funny. Suddenly you have a sense of humor. Great. The building with the large dome, I asked Tobias as I swept the observatory. Is that where the computers would be? Maybe. That's where they have the regular telescope, I think. But they may have the control centers and computers there, too. I looked with my incredible hawk vision. There was a huge rectangular opening in the top of the dome. Inside, I could see a vast circle of glass. I laughed in recognition. A telescope! An actual optical telescope! What can they possibly believe that will show them? It will show them a red tail and a harrier flying around together, looking like lost tourists, Tobias said. 
According to Marco, this place isn't really operating yet, so I don't know how many people will be around. But we need to find a place to land, so you can morph into something useful to do... whatever. Tobias, is that sarcasm? The way you ask me what I'm doing? No, it's not sarcasm. I think it's called being snide. Ah, thank you for explaining. Why not fly straight into the dome? I asked. Why not? Tobias agreed. He led the way down. We dove at high speed, rocketing down through the air. The brilliant white dome rushed up at us. I shot through the opening rectangle and banked sharply right. It was much darker inside than outside. Below me was the incredibly long tube of the telescope. I see doors down below. Those are probably offices, Tobias said. They'll probably have computers in all the offices, if we can find one that's empty. Yes, that would be good, but I will need fingers. For... For whatever it is I'm doing, I said. We circled swiftly around the inside of the dome. As I flew, I kept expecting to see humans below, but none ever appeared. This place is awfully empty, Tobias said. Yes, it seems almost abandoned, I agreed. Tobias, I am going down. My morph time is running short. Now is when I should go alone. Yeah, gotcha. Good luck, Axeman. Whatever you're doing, be careful. Tobias swept up and out of the dome. I was alone. I drifted down toward the floor, down and down to land on a table. There was a computer console workstation, but no humans in sight. I saw an empty door leading to what seemed to be a dark and empty office. I flapped my wings twice and was inside. Harrier eyes, like hawk eyes, are adapted for daylight. They are not very good in the dark. But the Harrier also has extremely good hearing. I dimly saw a desk and came to rest on it. Then I concentrated on listening. I was alone in the room. I was certain of that. The only human sounds I heard came through the walls. Conversation. I could not make out the sounds, but they all seemed to be concentrated in one area. Axcan, hear me? It was Tobias. His thought speech was faint. Just barely, I answered. I'm outside. I'm looking a window here. I see them in a room like some kind of meeting. Yes, I can hear them, I said. Can you keep watch over them? Let me know if they come this way. Yeah, if any, please look in out. No, Tobias said. I can barely hear you, I said. I'm going to morph. Can't. Very well, let's go. My plan was to morph my normal Andalite form, then quickly move into my human morph, just in case any human saw me. But I was tired from the flight, and morphing is very tiring, especially quick morphing. And if I had to make a quick escape, it would mean passing through my Andalite body to move back to Harrier. I would never be able to handle that many changes in a short time. I decided to risk staying in Andalite form. Besides, if it worked and I reached my home, I wanted my parents to know me when they saw me. I began the demorphing. I could only hope that Tobias would be able to give me enough warning. Even though I loved being a bird, it was a good feeling when my tail began to form again. 
An Andalite without a tail is just sad. And no matter how powerful a hawk's eyes may be, they can still only look in one direction at a time. As my stock eyes reformed, I breathed a sigh of relief. I could once again see in all directions. There was no computer in the office. I was very annoyed by that fact. It meant I would have to go back into the observatory to use the computer there. My hooves slipped on the polished floor. I swung my eyes in every direction, keeping a sharp lookout. I pushed the chair away from the computer workstation. I began typing on the antique keyboard. The screen asked me for a password. Password? I laughed. I disabled the security system and confirmed that Marco's father's new software was already in place. Good. That would make it easier. As quickly as I could, I wrote in a virus that would swiftly transform the software that controlled the radio telescope. Since humans had no awareness of zero space, they did not understand that a powerful radio receiver could be tuned in such a way as to create a Z-space vacuum and open a cross-dimensional gateway. Once I had opened a small hole in Z-space, it was child's play to use the same receivers to modulate and reflect the background radiation into a coherent signal. The hard part would be using thought speech to control the signal. That would take absolute concentration. Still out here, Tobias said. I hoped the word I couldn't hear was okay. It took about ten Earth minutes to adjust the radio telescope. Ten minutes and I had moved human science ahead by a century or so. Ten minutes to completely violate Andalite law. I was done. The system was ready. I pressed the enter key. The thousands of lines of computer language disappeared from the computer screen. The screen went blank. I focused my mind as sharply as I could. I pictured the coherent signal. I pictured that beam going through my own head. Andalite home, I thought. Andalite home. The screen flickered. A face appeared. It was a hard, suspicious face. But it was an Andalite face. Who is this? The Andalite demanded. This is a high security link. You are not an authorized sender. State your name and location. My name is Aximili Escarot Istil, brother of Alfangor Cyrano Shamtul, son of Norlin Cyrano Koroth, and Forlay Escarot Mahin. The Andalite stared at me. Alfangor's brother, he wondered. What is your location? My location is the planet called Earth. Hello, Phanomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. I actually have quite a few things uh, to, to mention this time. Got a bunch of mail! That was really nice. So I'd like to thank, uh, I'd like to give a thank you to my friend Brittany, and to Tumblr user Avian Dalek, and to uh, Alexis on Gmail for all sending me in song suggestions. Um, I haven't actually listened to any of them, but I recognize at least two of these bands, and it'll probably be pretty good. So I'll use one of them, and then I'll use the next one the next time, etc. Uh, it'll be great. Thank you all so much. I also got two more uh, anonymous anonymous messages on Tumblr. The first one reads, Do you have any funny outtakes of recordings? And if you do, would you ever put them up as a bonus or something? 
Uh, I do have outtakes. I don't save them, but they're it's because they're not funny. Um, it's just me flubbing lines over and over again because I can't say the word linoleum consistently. Uh, so I probably won't put up any sort of like bonus of that because it's it's not. I mean, it's not funny. It's just me reading by myself in a room, and then I can't say words sometimes real good. But thank you for asking. Um, the second message from another anonymous user, or maybe the same one, I don't know, says, I found your podcast on Spotify last night, and I've been listening and enjoying it. I'm glad to see you still update regularly. Thank you for your, thank you for your hard work. See, stumbles like that are the kind of outtakes that I would have. They're not good, right? Uh, but thank you so much for saying that. Yes, I hopefully will continue to be doing this for a while until we finish um, I'm glad you're having a good time. I'm having a good time. I hope everyone else listening is having a good time. If you want to send a message like that to me, you can do that on Tumblr at audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or on e- email, yes, email at audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, if you use iTunes, you can leave me a rating and a review. That'd be very appreciated. Or you can tell a friend about this. Uh, spread the good word. I'd really appreciate that as well. I believe that's all I have for you. So, without further ado, I will end this recording, and I will see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>